the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now, your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon and welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio. I'm Bob Bergman, estate planning attorney down in San Jose, California. As you're listening to this broadcast today, which is pre-recorded, I am on my way back from Chicago, where I've been visiting with my wife and kids. We've been visiting Grandma and Grandpa and taking in all the sights in that great city, as well as having some of the great food. Those of you who are from Chicago, like my wife, or who have visited there, you know that they have great entertainment and great food. I thought I'd use the show today to kind of go back to basics, which means go back to kind of the basics of what is estate planning and what is it that I do as an estate planning attorney. Let's start first with a little definition, a good practical definition of estate planning. I want to control my property while I'm alive, take care of me and my loved ones if I become disabled. I want to give my property to whom I want, the way I want, and when I want. Furthermore, if I can, I want to save every last tax dollar, professional fee, and court costs legally possible. Now, estate planning involves determining your needs, wants, and desires for your property and your family. To carry out your wishes may also involve preparing several legal documents. It may involve planning for a special needs child, a second marriage, a non-citizen spouse, or other special things in your family situation. Planning is also needed for a child who has a drug alcohol, gambling, or other addiction problem, or other financial difficulties. Proper planning can also include providing for asset protection for the inheritance you're passing on to your spouse, your partner, your children, or others. Whether you're single or married, preparing a proper estate plan will help you avoid the expense and time delays of a probate proceeding after you've died and help avoid the need for a conservatorship if you become incapacitated while still alive and for very 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 large estates may reduce or eliminate the federal estate tax also known as the death tax at your death for families here in california proper planning can also assure as much as possible that we preserve income tax benefits with california real estate and also with um, 
with stocks, bonds, mutual funds, things like that, but especially California real estate, preserving a step up in the cost basis of that property, which is an income tax concept, and in many cases, also making sure we preserve the lower assessed values of California real estate when they're passed on to the next generation. Improper planning or poor planning could actually trigger reassessment of property taxes and may also trigger capital gains tax when certain types of property is sold after someone's died. Now, here in the U.S., about two-thirds of the people in the country don't do estate planning at all. Now, a lot of people say, well, Bob, you know, how hard is it to do like a trust, for example? I mean, I can go and I can get a book from Barnes and Noble. There's a bunch of online websites I can go to. I can pick up software in the in the bargain bin at at one of the office supply stores. Uh, Self-help books are everywhere. And all of these give impression that estate planning is as easy as going in and ordering dinner off a menu in a restaurant. You may also get the impression that there's such a thing as a standard will, a standard living trust, standards of everything, all the legal documents used to create an estate plan. Now, there are things like a statutory will the legislature created. There's also a statutory power of attorney and a statutory advanced health care directive. But because they were created by the legislature here in California, while they may be pretty good for doing a lot of things, they're horribly bad for doing things that might be very important to you and your family. So there's really no such thing as a simple living trust or a simple estate planning. Estate planning is a legal specialty that takes hundreds, if not thousands of hours of study and years of practice to master. I happen to be board certified in estate planning, trust, and probate law, certified by the State Bar of California Board of Legal Specialization. I had to spend more time, effort, study, training, getting that certification than I did becoming a member of the bar and going to law school combined. So what you need to know is that attorneys in California can say they practice in any area of law without being specifically qualified or trained to do so. It's not like the medical profession where a general practitioner doctor is not authorized to do Surgery or make certain ty- types of diagnoses of illness because they're not specifically trained in that area. Now, it doesn't mean that a GP couldn't maybe do an emergency surgery on somebody, but that's not their normal practice and they should not be involved in that at all. Unfortunately, here in California, a lot of general practitioner attorneys sell wills and trusts as part of their law practice. They may also do family law, personal injury law, immigration, bankruptcy, landlord-tenant, you name it. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of attorneys in the Bay Area that sell wills and trusts. And really, they're, they're actually mostly selling documents much like you might go to a service station 
and they sell tires. Uh, you could buy a tire at a service station. You can also buy at a service station. You can buy yourself probably a beef burrito, but it's not necessarily going to be a very healthy food item. And that tire that's hanging up on the wall in the service bay could have been sitting there for 10 years, and you don't know if it's really suited for your car and whether or not it's going to last and actually hold up when it needs to. An old trust, and I see actually a lot of old trusts drafted more recently by will and trust lawyers who are really not specialists that have things that are outdated, that are missing important things that should be in there, and in general are very, very weak substitutes for having planning done by someone who is an experienced estate planning specialist. Now, when I talk about estate planning, it's important to define just what I mean by your estate. A lot of people have different ideas of what their estate is, so I'm going to share some of the things that I believe are your estate. This includes all of the things that you own, or what I like to call your stuff, things like your personal residence if you have one, other real estate you may own in California or elsewhere in the country, like a second home, commercial buildings, vacant land, uh, multifamily dwellings, apartment buildings, deeded timeshares, which often are interest in real estate. People don't think of those as part of their estate. Then things like annuities you may own and life insurance that you have on your life. Life insurance is often overlooked because people don't think about life insurance as being part of their estate because it doesn't pay out until they've died. Your estate also includes things like stocks, bonds, mutual phones owned directly or through a brokerage account, but does not include any of those things owned in retirement plans like IRAs, 401k, 403b, 457 plans, KEO plans, pension plans. Those are part of your estate, but they're not really owned in exactly the same way as everything else you may own. Then we have checking accounts, savings accounts, money markets, CDs, business interests, corporations, LLCs, LLPs, stock options, personal property. In other words, all of your stuff. Now, after the break, I'm going to come back and talk about what might be, for many people, the most important asset that you have in your estate. You may or may not be surprised when you hear about it, but I guarantee it's probably going to be important to you. So, after the break, I'll be coming back and talking about the other side of estate planning. Talk with you then. This is Attorney Bob Bergman of Plan Your Estate Radio. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, Attorney Bob Bergman. Welcome back. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. Before the break, I talked about things that constitute your estate. And those were either physical things like personal possessions or real estate, or they were more intangible things like stock and bonds and retirement plans, things like that. But let me talk about the other part of your estate that for many people is the most important part of estate planning, and that is your family. That's right. 
your spouse, your partner, your children, grandchildren, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, cousins, or even those people you choose to make your family, they're part of your estate. Therefore, estate planning includes not only planning for your property or your stuff, but also planning for those people in your life that are your family or you consider to be your family and people that you care for. Now, there's a lot of reasons to do estate planning. I'm going to share a number of them with you today because you may hear something in here where you go, oh, yeah, that applies to me. I should probably do estate planning. One thing is you want to avoid a conservatorship while you're alive if you become disabled or incapacitated. Now, a conservatorship is a court process, which is like a guardianship for an adult. In fact, some states call it guardianship. Here in California, we call it conservatorship. And what happens is if you become incapacitated, someone may need to be appointed by the court to take charge of you and to take charge of your property to handle it for you, to decide where you live, what you're going to eat, what kind of medical treatment you're going to get, all those kinds of things get wrapped up in a conservatorship. It's public, it's time-consuming, it's expensive. In Santa Clara County, the best estimate I've seen for an uncontested conservatorship, fees and costs and everything, is about $7,500. So, it's not inexpensive to go through a conservatorship. Second thing is you want to avoid the probate process for your family when you die. Probate is the court-supervised administration and distribution of the estate of someone who died without a plan or died with just a will in place. It's expensive. It's time-consuming. Nine months is probably the minimum you could look at for probate. It's completely public. Everything you own, everybody you owe, who your heirs are, what they're receiving from your estate, where they live, all those things become public record. So there's people that actually go through the probate records finding people who've just inherited money so they can find creative ways to separate them from their inheritance, often with phony investment opportunities or home improvement scams. Another reason is if you have young kids like I do, you need guardians to be nominated by you for those kids if you, in fact, to become incapacitated or die while they're still underage. Now, I say nominated. A lot of people are surprised to find out that we don't name the people that are going to raise our kids. We don't really choose them. All we can do is nominate, which is tell the judge who we want to raise our kids. And it's up to the judge to decide whether or not the people we name are appropriate. Closely related to that is a concern about the inheritance that's going to go to our children, whether they're too young or even if they're adults with children of their own. There's a lot of things that can come against somebody with an inheritance where they could lose the inheritance. I already alluded to someone that maybe has uh, an addiction problem, but you know what? Someone can be in a bad marriage that's financially, emotionally, or, um, or physically abusive. They could end up losing their inheritance that way. They could lose it to a lawsuit. They can lose it in a bankruptcy. They could lose it because they owe the government taxes. 
they could just lose it any number of ways if the inheritance is received directly. So that's another thing that we might examine, whether or not estate planning should involve passing things directly on to the next generation or whether it should be passed on in an asset-protected way that I call the castle or the castle trust planning option. And I may talk a little bit more about that a little later in the show. You may also have a concern about your estate being lost because of the expense of an extended nursing home stay. If you go into a skilled nursing facility or nursing home, those are really expensive here in the Bay Area. I mean, you're talking thousands and thousands of dollars a month, and you may not have a lot of money or assets to pay for those things, and you're concerned about all of that money being used up and having nothing left for your family. Well, the good news, it's possible to save your personal residence from being taken from you right away uh, and maybe passing it on to your family without a real issue. But other things you own, bank accounts and stocks and bonds and even many retirement plans, those might actually have to be spent unless you can do some planning ahead of time. It's what I call medical planning. You can have pre-planning, which is done well before you need to go into a nursing home. There are a lot more planning options that can be done if you do it well in advance. But even if you're about to go into a nursing home or you're already in there, there's still planning that can be done in order to preserve some or in some cases all of the property you have from being lost. You may have a situation where you have a loved one that's in the hospital and is in a coma right now or is dying and there's no planning that's been done. If someone's still legally competent, they can do planning even at the last minute and actually get a lot of good planning done. Not everything that maybe should be done or the way you want it, but still a lot of good planning done, even though you're starting to run out of time. You may have... A lot of debts. Maybe you have taxes that are owing. You have a lot of people you owe. And you're worried that if you die right now, your family home might have to be sold or the family business might have to be sold to pay those taxes or pay off those debts. And your family might end up without a home or without a business that generates the income to support the family. Well, in that case, creative use of life insurance might be appropriate, and maybe life insurance that's not owned by you directly, but is owned outside of your taxable estate and outside of your estate as far as creditors' claims are concerned. This is something we talk about. It's it's called a life insurance trust or irrevocable life insurance trust, sometimes abbreviated as an I it, and it can be extremely effective to provide resources for the family to make sure that unpaid taxes and unpaid debts don't end up causing the family to be homeless or to lose the family business. If you're in a second marriage with a Brady Bunch kind of family where you've got his kids and her kids and sometimes even their kids, you want to make sure that your share of the property passes to your children or grandchildren and not to those of your spouse. Now, some of these Brady Bunch marriages, they treat everybody's kid as the same and everybody gets an equal share. But to make sure that happens, sometimes there's special planning that should be done to assure 
sure that the surviving spouse doesn't accidentally or maybe even intentionally disinherit the first set of children from the spouse that already died. I'll continue with more reasons to do estate planning after the break. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you then. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back to the third segment of our show today. I've been talking about reasons to do estate planning and uh, continuing on. This is something I see a lot of here, especially in the Santa Clara Valley where my office is located. And that is uh, if you or your spouse are not U.S. citizens, maybe you're permanent residents, Maybe you're actually a non-resident that's here on a visa and and you're in the process of applying for permanent residency. In those situations, people are often concerned about how their property will pass on to their heirs. And they want to know whether or not they can do planning here in California to make that happen. The short answer is yes. It's also important that the planning that's done here doesn't accidentally interfere with planning that might need to be done in your home country. A lot of my clients who are from other parts of the world actually own property in those other countries, and we need to make sure that the planning that's done for them here does not interfere with the planning that's done in another country. For those who have very, very large estates who need to minimize or eliminate the federal estate tax, well, that's another reason to do estate planning. Um, Proper planning can often preserve those larger estates, pass it on to the next generation, maybe pass it on in such a way that it avoids future taxation for the family. I've already mentioned this briefly, but being able to pass on low property tax assessments on California real estate to children, or in some cases, grandchildren without reassessment, that's a very important reason to do estate planning. In the absence of actually planning to make that happen, you could easily end up with a bad result of a reassessment of the property taxes. You also want to minimize the capital gains income tax for your heirs when they sell real estate, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, or other capital assets after you've died. And for a lot of people, They want to do estate planning because they want to pass on their values to their children and grandchildren. The fact is, the reasons to do estate planning are specific to each and every family I meet with. And no two families are exactly alike, even if they think that their family situation is just like everybody else's and is very, very simple. Here in Santa Clara County, where I practice, and kind of in the general Bay Area, families come from a wide variety of cultural, religious, ethnic, and family backgrounds, as well as socioeconomic backgrounds. About half of my clients are from countries other than the United States, including Canada, India, China, Taiwan, South Africa, Great Britain, the Philippines, Germany, and many, many others. Many are naturalized U.S. citizens, and many are permanent residents. 
Because of the many financial, spiritual, and cultural differences between these families, estate planning really needs to be customized to the specific needs of each family. I've had situations where a family comes in and they have multiple children and the way that each child's inheritance is dealt with is different from each child to the next. One child is financially disabled, meaning uh, financially incompetent, and that child share was left in trust with someone else in charge of it. The next child over here, the decision was made to distribute it to them outright rather than in some form of trust. And then the third child, the property was distributed in trust to the third child with that child in charge of it because there was some concern for asset protection for that child, what I call the Castle Trust planning. Let me explain a little bit about what the Castle Trust planning option actually is. This is actually an approach that I've taken with my own children where my wife and I decided that when we're both gone, nothing is passing directly to our daughters. Instead, it's going to pass in trust for them. If they're under age, which they are right now, then that means everything would be held in one trust to take care of both of them and then provide for the things that they might need, such as food, clothing, shelter, tuition for school, recreational activities, things like that. But then when they reach a certain age or they fulfilled certain conditions, they can take over and be in charge of their own share of the estate in a trust specially crafted for them. The trust will generally provide for a standard for them to use if they're in charge called HEMS, Health, Education, Maintenance and Support. So the HEM standards basically limit what the property can be used for in the trust when the child's in charge of the trust. The reason that limitation is in effect is because we don't want the child to exercise 100% control over the property because if a child does that, then that means that a creditor of the child can actually gain access to what's inside that trust what we call the castle. Now, like a castle with thick walls and a drawbridge and heavily armed defenders, you want to keep that inheritance protected from the things that could come against that child in the future, whether it is a bad financial decision, a failed business, a malpractice claim, an accident that was caused, and now the child's being sued for a bunch of injuries from people, whether there's a divorce happening, uh, whether the child actually has now become mentally incompetent competent, any number of things. A trust like this, however, can be set up to have a third-party distribution trustee that could make decisions to distribute monies or property from the trust to the child without regard to whether the child needs it or not. An example of that would be uh, most people need some form of transportation. Transportation that's appropriate for a child might be a certified pre-owned Toyota Corolla automobile. 
the child might want to purchase an Escalade because I've always wanted an Escalade. The problem is it's kind of hard to justify that you need an Escalade, whereas transportation is really the need, not a specific kind of car. Buying an expensive vehicle to fulfill that need might be considered by a court later on to be excessive and exceeding the authority of what someone's needs actually are. To protect against that, a trust like this can have a third-party distribution trustee that could be given the authority to authorize a distribution from the trust for any reason whatsoever without regard for whether or not it's something that the person needs. That insulates the child from any decisions that are being made that could be conceived by a court to have exceeded the HEMS authority of the trust, and that actually protects the child's property in the trust from being lost. Now, in the case of my wife and I, and this is something maybe more me than my wife, I've set this kind of plan up for my children because, I'll be blunt, I don't trust the boys that want to marry my girls someday. I'm speaking as a dad who right now speaking to you, I have 10-year-old twin girls. I don't expect they'll be getting married anytime soon, but I want to make sure that anyone who wants to marry one of my daughters, that they understand ahead of time that my daughters actually are not receiving any kind of inheritance from me and my wife. In fact, if I sit down with a young man, we'll call him George, and say, George, I'm glad I'm meeting you. I'm glad you come to talk to me about your desire to marry my daughter. But um, I just want, George, I just want to let you know something, just kind of in passing. Uh, My wife and I have decided that we're not going to leave anything to our daughter when we're gone. And then I won't say anything else. And then I'll watch to see what George's reaction is. If George's reaction is like a quizzical look with kind of like a, Okay, Mr. Bergman, uh, not sure why you told me that, but okay, and we continue talking. But more importantly, George keeps returning my daughter's phone calls after that meeting. Then he just gets a positive check mark from me. He still may not be the right one for my daughter. In fact, I doubt that anyone will be. Uh, you parents, you know what I'm talking about. But the bottom line is, he has already passed the major test for me, which is, is he in it because he loves my daughter, or at least thinks he does? Or is he in it because of what he thinks he might be able to get his hands on in the future when my wife and I are gone and he's now married with my daughter and looking at her inheritance as something that's going to buy stuff for him? Like that new F-150 he wants, like those golf clubs, like those trips that he's wanted to take but can't really afford. I don't want a son-in-law using my property to benefit him. I want it for my daughter. I want it for my grandkids. And that's why my wife and I have set up our plan this way, using the castle trust planning as the vehicle to protect the inheritance. So it's asset protected inheritance planning. It's more complicated to set up 
It's more expensive when you do it through me because it is more complicated to set up. But I find that most of my clients who have children, whether they're adult children or minor children, think it's a good idea to do planning like this. So in these first three segments of the show, I've covered a lot of things, and I decided to wrap up this segment with that discussion of the Castle Trust Planning option, which I think is a very, very useful one for families to consider. When I come back after the break for the last segment of the show today, I'll be talking about some other planning tools that exist and how they might benefit you and your family. So when I come back, this is attorney Bob Bergman, San Jose estate planning attorney, Plan Your Estate Radio, and I'll come back and talk to you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, I'm back. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman from San Jose, Plan Your Estate Radio. In this final segment of the show today, I'm going to talk about two separate topics. One is I'm going to talk about special needs or supplemental needs trust planning, and then I'm going to talk about a special type of planning that I do for those of us that have minor children, such as my wife and I, and how it can enhance the situation for them if something happens to you while they are underage. First thing is special needs or supplemental needs trust planning. One of the things that people don't realize is that if someone is a special needs person, meaning someone is actually classified by the government as special needs, that there are many kinds of benefit programs that may be available to that person to assist them with their disability. Now, some people who are special needs actually are special needs because they're physically handicapped in some way, but they're still able to work, still able to uh, be employed, engage in activities. Others are special needs and they may be incapable of caring for themselves physically or they may be mentally incapacitated and they need someone to care for them on a regular basis or sometimes even 24 hours a day. Now, children and others who are disabled are especially vulnerable and special planning has to be pursued for them because of their special needs. The type of planning that is really the only type of planning that works properly for someone who is going to receive an inheritance and their special needs is a supplemental needs trust. Now, you'll hear special needs trust thrown around. I don't like to use the term special needs trust unless it's a trust that's set up through the court system with the property of the special needs person. And when it's done that way, the state of California has a reimbursement right that is hardwired into the special needs trust, permitting them to be paid back from the assets of that special needs person when that person dies, paid back for any benefits that were paid out by the state. A supplemental needs trust is one that is set up by a third party, like a parent, a grandparent, a brother, a sister, an aunt or an uncle, or even a friend that puts their own property into a trust to take care of the special needs person. So a supplemental needs trust has provisions in it 
that says only use this property to supplement whatever assistance is being received by that special needs person from the government. Now, I have a whole article that I have available. Uh, you can email me at radio at lawbob.com that goes into more detail about this. Uh, it talks about the 10 mistakes that people make in dealing with their special needs child. And I recommend don't try to do planning for your special needs child or relative on your own. It's very complicated and it's easy to make a mistake that could actually cause them to lose their inheritance, lose their benefits, and actually damage their quality of life. The last thing I'm going to talk about today is a special type of planning I do for those of us that have minor children. It's something that I call the Children's Legacy Plan. And the Children's Legacy Plan is designed to deal with the short-term care needs of our minor children and the longer-term care needs of our minor children, at least until they turn age 18 years, which is what's called the age of majority here in California. At 18 years of age, you are legally an adult, and you would no longer need someone named to care for you unless you were also a special needs person, and that's a separate issue. The Children's Legacy Plan is a series of legal documents that I can prepare for those families that have the young kids where they're concerned about what would happen to their children if something happened to them. They're concerned about their children perhaps going into the foster care system, which is the county taking custody of children and finding some place for them to sleep that night. I will tell you, if children go into the foster care system for any reason, there is no guarantee that your children will be kept together in the same place. There's no guarantee where they will end up. There's no guarantee that they will even be in the same county in California, and they could end up hundreds of miles away from where their home county is. I know this. I have a client who worked for Child Protective Services, and she told me a number of times she had a child in her car driving them to a foster home as far away as Bakersfield, which is a long way from San Mateo County, which is where she was located. The Children's Legacy Plan has a document I call a designation of temporary caretakers. And these are people that you have named adults that you have personally vetted and you believe are safe to temporarily take care of your children pending permanent action taken through the court system for a guardian to be appointed. There's also a nomination of permanent guardians. This is designed to make sure that you have named to the court who you want to care for your children because you won't be able to tell the court anymore if you're disabled or you have died. There's a confidential exclusion of guardians. If there are family members that you would absolutely never want to take care of your children or raise them. I run into a lot of families where they have a family member that they don't trust, one who was an abuser, either a physical abuser or a sexual abuser or a financial abuser, and they don't want that person anywhere near their children. If the court doesn't know what the issues are, the court may very well 
award custody and guardianship to the very person you would not want. So that's all for today. Until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your State Radio. Goodbye and have a great weekend. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flint. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com. <laughs> 